This podcast is supported by LinkedIn. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash marketer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Kara Swisher and you're listening to Sway. My guest today is Maggie Gyllenhaal. Over the last three decades, she starred in movies like Donnie Darko, Mona Lisa Smile, and The Dark Knight. Now she's made her directorial debut with The Lost Daughter. She also wrote the film, earning an Oscar nod for Best Adapted Screenplay. The movie follows a British woman, a mother, named Leda. In the present, Leda, played by Olivia Colman, is on a solo vacation on a Greek isle. But her holiday is tormented by flashbacks of a young Leda, played by Jesse Buckley, who is exhausted and overstretched as a wife, young professional, and mother of two. I'm working. I'm suffocating. It's a tense and moody story about the underbelly of motherhood, unraveling the story of, quote, an unnatural mother struggling to balance self, career, and kids, a struggle that feels all the more relevant in the midst of the pandemic. As a mom myself, many times over, by the way, I wanted to talk to Hall about how she captured the messy reality of motherhood and whether Hollywood is evolving to be a better place for female actors and directors alike, an age-old question that never seems to get resolved. Maggie Hall, welcome to Sway. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want to talk a lot about the film and about how you think about your art. But I have to say, I saw your movie several times and it continues to stick with me in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Um, I have four kids. I spent a lot of time thinking about motherhood, but not in this way. And it brought up a lot of issues where you don't see motherhood depicted. So I'd love to sort of get a sort of a, a higher level view of how you're look, thinking about it now as you're going through this process. I guess I think... In my experience, I've got two kids. Um, There is nothing that's been bigger, that's been, if I want to use the word challenging, but challenging implies, you know, only that it's difficult. I mean, challenging in absolutely every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, nothing bigger than my experience of mothering. And so I guess, I think, why would we expect that something so big, so challenging on all sides of it, that, that, that our feelings about it, would that normal feelings about it would only fit into this very sort of small um, sort of spectrum. To me, I think something as big as that must include in a normal experience, both an incredible amount of joy, heart-wrenching joy, and despair, terror, deep anxiety. Why would it not? This is an adaptation. This is what you've gotten an Oscar nomination for by the novel by Elena Ferrante, who also wrote the best-selling Neapolitan novels, which was adapted into an HBO series, My Brilliant Friend. Did you interact at all for the adaptation? Very little. Uh, I had to appeal to Ferrante for the rights to the book. It's a, it's a pseudonym, just so everybody knows Elena Ferrante. Yeah, pseudonym. So, so in order to understand what 
um, I'm talking about. <laughs> you have to know that she's um, anonymous, and I, I want to respect that. Um, but in order to get the rights, um, her publishers suggested that I write to her, and I did. And I basically said, I didn't know exactly how I would adapt it, but I said, look, the book, and, and if you've read any of her books, they're very similar in that they're like uncompromisingly, searingly honest. And I think in particular about the experience of being a woman in the world, things that I- And female friendships and expectations that trap women. Absolutely. And also um, love affairs and the intellectual life of women, the artistic life of women and motherhood, of course, you know, so many things. Um, but she's so truthful about things that I think we've really been told we're not allowed to think or feel. I mean, to the point where in some ways I didn't even know I thought or felt these things until I read them expressed in her books. Um, but I found that experience hearing these truthful things. I, I, I felt kind of electrified by even the most perverse things that were said out loud. I thought, I felt comforted by that, um, uh, like I'm not alone. And I think many people had that experience. Her books are flying off the shelves. But I thought it's still kind of a secret if we're all alone in our rooms reading these things. And I thought, well, what if you, what if you actually heard these things said out loud? And if it was in a communal space, like a movie theater, where, you know, you might even be sitting next to like your husband or your mother or your child. And, and then the cat is really out of the bag and there's no putting it back in. And I, I sort of said to her, I thought that was a really radical thing to try to do. Mm -hmm. And her response? So she said, um, yes. She said, you can have the rights. Um, and I had said in the letter, I wanted to direct it. But she said, you can have the rights, but the contract is void unless you direct it. Oh, wow. Which, um, I mean, look, my interactions with her, which have not been all that many, have been, she has been continually encouraging of me and supportive of me. Um, but I was scared. I mean, I was scared. What were you scared of her, her, what she thought of it, or just that you couldn't handle it? I didn't know. I didn't know if I could do yeah. it, you know, and I, I, it was a real, it was a risk. But weirdly, it's like, it's like, I mean, when I, when I was acting and I, I don't know, I guess I'll probably still act some more, but I was always like hitting up against the edge of something, like banging myself up against the edge of what I could express. Um, but directing is completely different. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. This movie is told through two interwoven timelines for people to know. The present-day mother of adult children who's holidaying solo in Greece, played by Olivia Colman, and the young mother who's steeped in the mess of childhood tantrums and a, and a budding career, played by Jesse Buckley. Um, you split the mother in two effectively, correct? Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I split the mother in two in order <laughs> to ultimately bring the mother together. You know, I mean, I think we've been used to for, you know, in most of the films and books and, you know, representations of motherhood, um, splitting the mother in two, right? The bad mommy and the fantasy mother. So I think, you know, for me, I, I was listening to your intro where, where you were saying that she's an unnatural mother. I don't think I agree with that. I think even the concept of an unnatural mother is... Um, it's just something to be thought about, weighed in your hands. You know, she uses that. That's a straight lift from Ferrante, that, that phrase. And, and I was really compelled by it. And in fact, 
I think it's sort of, it's almost like a puzzle that can't be solved. It's if, of course, if she's an unnatural mother, well, what is a natural mother? That's the expectation on us. And yeah, Yeah, that everybody should be one. I think she was actually saying uncomfortable, uncomfortable (laughs) or or awkward, or it doesn't come naturally like other things, which I think is interesting. I think the more disturbing sentence was, motherhood is a crushing responsibility and the word crushing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. let me ask you, Leda calls herself an unnatural mother. You don't actually think she is, in other words. I don't, no. Mm-hmm. I think it's way too simple. You know, I think what that is meant to do in the movie is kind of reverberate against itself. If she calls herself an unnatural mother, well, what is a natural mother, you know? And and I think um, when you were asking sort of how am I seeing the movie now or what is the the purpose or the intention. I mean, and there's a lot of answers to that question, but one of them is to normalize all sorts of feelings, not just about mothering, but also just in general about being a woman in the world. So that if you have a whole bunch of those feelings in aspects of yourself, you don't then feel that you're monstrous and unnatural. Yeah. Getting back to this idea of thriller or horror, I was scared of Leda. Do you think mm. she's more scary or scared, I guess? Hmm. I don't know. I think she's scared. I think she has reason to be scared. I think she's scared of herself and the pain she's inflicted and what she's done. And I think she's as brave as Achilles, you know, to end up choosing to go into this painful, the darkest, most perverse part of herself and take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think this is a violent movie? A quietly violent movie? Obviously, there is violence in it. um, And and it's articulated very clearly. But do you you find it to be that? Because again, it kept me on my edge. I I was scared of what was going to happen. I was frightened for the characters, all of them. Right. Yeah. Um, I play with the tropes of horror and thriller and, you know, even to the point of, are they going to kill her? You know, Um, but that's not really the way through the movie, right? That's, that's, that'd be a totally different kind of movie, right? That's not the violence. The violence that's very, very real is a, is a more psychological kind of violence. But I want to say, I learned something when we were shooting, um, the movie theater scene, for example, I love that scene. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. You know, these kids and they're misbehaving. They're probably a little drunk and they're yelling things at the screen. And she really loses it. And um, when I wrote it, uh, I knew it was many things, but I thought it was it was funny. But then I realized, no, actually okay, maybe it's a little funny, but it's mostly about violence. And what I realized is when I saw it in action, these boys who probably won't do anything to her, who are just whatever, they could though take her behind the movie theater and gang rape her. And that is something that all women ever born, ever lived, live with the possibility of that violence. Mm-hmm. And if you're walking down the street, you know, and it's dark and a group of guys I walks by. literally just happened with my sons. My sons are very tall. And we were walking down the street and no reason. It was dark and someone was coming and I went like this. I, I started to like look around and my, mm. one of my sons who's 6'3", the other's six feet tall, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, you don't know, do you? Mm. 
you know? And they're, they're yeah. like, nothing's wrong. And I go, nothing's wrong for you. And it was a really, right. and I, we had an interesting talk about it. Like, you will never feel unsafe in the way I feel unsafe. And there's no right. reason for me to feel unsafe necessarily. Um, so I seem crazy at this point. So it was an interesting moment. As well, a that's the same in the film, right? She yeah. seems crazy. Right. Because we've all agreed not to discuss this, really. Not really. And if she all of a sudden feels so powerless, so completely powerless to stop the behavior, their disrespect for her, like, it it makes her seem crazy. And in fact, she does say something crazy. You know, she mm-hmm. does. She yeah. says, I want to cut your little dicks off and feed them to you like peanuts. <laughs> Which, you know, again, I'm just playing with the very edges of how far we can go. So it's really interesting. One of the things that's important on her is she simmers all the time. She simmered throughout mm. this movie. I was waiting. Mm. In a lot of ways, you had mentioned this. It was a thriller, horror movie. It felt, I, I was like, what is going to happen? This woman looks like she's going to blow at any time. And it was barely, the, the lid was barely on. That's what I felt, like bursting at the seams, which a lot of Elena Ferrante's characters actually have. Um, there's one scene where one of the daughters, Bianca, accidentally gets hurt and cries for her to kiss her finger. Please. Please, can you kiss it? It really hurts. <laughs> but Leda won't do it. Can you talk a little bit about those moments? And I was very disturbed by it, but I understood it completely. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, my grandmother was a pediatrician in the 40s and... My mother was a screenwriter and a producer, you know, professional woman. I have had a career since I was in my early 20s. Um, I'm not somebody who, you know, I, I didn't grow up with like my apron strings tied to the stove. I, and yet when I really, I gave myself the space to choose to make a film about anything, it's about the domestic. And... Um, I'm interested in the domestic as high art, as as just as valuable as like the soldier story that, you know, that we're used to or like whatever, the guy's stuck on a submarine or, you know, or Achilles and and Agamemnon. And and I, I don't mean to imply that the only thing that women can make films or books about is the domestic, but or women's I do, filmmaking or women's story. Well, I believe in, I do have to say, I believe in women's filmmaking. I believe in women's writing. I think it's different. I think we have a different experience and I think we focus on different things. I think we have a different language. Somebody wrote something about my film that I loved where they said, you know, it's, it's in a different language. It's in a language of women of that that isn't expressed in the same way. I think that's true. But um, you asked me about those flashbacks. And what I think about those flashbacks is this was not every day of her life. You know, um, this was like those couple of things that you look back on when you go, oh man, I just, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And they're, they're not that big a deal, like in some ways, and yet they are. And you feel them in in with just that strength of impact. Her refusing to kiss her daughter's finger is nasty, cruel, and very powerfully cruel. And it happened, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and she's remembering it 20 years later on the beach. So... Because um, that's what you do remember. You do... Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, everyone has done something like that. By the way, they remember everything at 16. 
and tell you. Just, <laughs> okay, I've just, got like six months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they remember. And then they're like, oh, you did not pick me up at kindergarten. I just right. got that one the other day. I'm like, get over. And I'm, of course, the different kind of, I'm like, you'll need to get over that because <laughs> sorry to tell you. I think lesbians are different parents. Than many people. <laughs> Suck it up, son. Um, so so go ahead. Sorry, you were talking about this, this idea of... Um, you know, it reverberates on her. And then yeah. in the present, she does a cruel thing, right? In a well, lot of she, ways. Yeah she, does, she, yeah, she does a few cruel things, right. you know? And people have asked me about the, like, likability of mm-hmm. my characters ever, yeah. which I'm like, I, honestly, I I don't even know what to say sometimes. Right. And I know I'm not alone here. Sometimes I'm an asshole. And, and usually I feel sorry. And that's what makes me, like... A human, you know what I mean? If you don't feel sorry and you're an asshole, well, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you two questions. At one point, Callie, a fellow vacation goer, asked Leda to move down the beach. So this lady also has to move. You don't mind moving, right? No, I'm fine here. No, it's just about switching umbrellas so that my family can be together. No, I understand that, but I have no desire to move. She's going to say no to these people and not back off, Uh, which, was it cruel or not. You know, I've had so many interesting reactions to that scene. Um, I mean, in some ways, who's right in that scene? Here comes Callie, right? Like, well, you know, Callie, you can look at it from both sides, which is why it's such an interesting moment. Callie's coming over and asking people to get up on their vacation and move to another chair so that she can have her birthday party. At the same time, it's fair enough. It's her birthday. It's no big deal. Just move down the beach. And, you know, she's met with resistance. And I think you could see the same from Olivia's point of view. Like, no, excuse me, I'm not going to move. What I am so compelled by in that scene is the depth of the anger between them and the way that it's expressed. Right. Because Callie gets what she wants. Uh, can I have a piece of this? Can I eat your bagel? Can I have a bite? And then just takes it. She's one of those people. You meet those people all the time. The amazing performance by uh, Dagmara Dominczyk. But it's one of those people who just pushes without asking. And she's... But, but what makes you do that? I mean, here's the thing. What makes... That's a kind of deprivation. That's a kind of hunger. I do think my actresses, my young actresses in particular, always make fun of me that I would come up to them and say, you're starving, you know? <laughs> but the truth is all the women in the movie are starving. Yeah. And, you know, most of the women I know are pretty fucking hungry too, you know? We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with author Glennon Doyle, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Maggie Gyllenhaal after the break. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection and unify risk management. Get $1,000 off Vanta by going to vanta.com slash hardfork. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash hardfork for $1,000 off. 
I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm gonna guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that <laughs> should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. You've been in the business a long time. I remember you in particular for your roles in the early 2000s, like Secretary, which I love that movie. Secretly, <laughs> Mona Lisa Smile, obviously Batman. What is the difference between your being an actor and a director now? Which one do you like better? You said, I may go back to acting. Do you really want to, or do you like this position better? Uh, <laughs> I miss the most beautiful things about acting. I miss the pleasure and the subjectivity of it, you know, just getting lost in your own world, a really lack of responsibility in some ways. There's a childish aspect to it that's really beautiful and really pleasurable. And I do not miss, like, the bullshit. I do not miss the politics of having to figure out how without any power I can get the couple of things I need in order to make the soup I want to make. Um, It's not always like that. Sometimes it's collaborative and wonderful, but I don't miss that part, which just was always part of the job. This was your directing debut. Uh, I asked Mariel Heller, who directed Diary of a Teenage Girl and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, she's also a wonderful actor, whether it was harder for her to be a female actor or a female director. And she said being a director was way harder, partly because there were so few female directors among the many things she talked about. Do you agree? I mean, uh, I... I (laughs) Look, it took me so long to even say to myself that I wanted to direct, even though it's so clear to me now that that is what I should do. I remember, um, so as an actress, and then especially once I became a producer and was producing things I was working in, I got into the habit of like, um, like just, just, to perfectly towing the line in order to maybe get 30% of what I was hoping to get artistically. But what I realized is that as a director, because there have been so few women, that in some ways I was, the, the, the sort of knee-jerk response was almost as if I were a man. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. that I'm doing a job that's been traditionally male. And so the way people were interacting with me, the amount of respect, the amount of focus and uh care. And I don't know, I was like not used to it at all. And I thought it's because this is traditionally a man's yeah, job. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a policy of give me that right now. I have, that's my <laughs> policy on everything. All right. It is. It's give me that. I'll take that. I'll take all. Um, but that's, you know, you don't have to do that, but I don't go for 30%. Neither should you. Um, Lost Daughter came out on Netflix. Do you think 
streamers are doing a better job than networks or studios used to in terms of diversity, in terms of giving you this opportunity. Because Dakota Johnson said it was punk rock to go to streaming, which is one of the nicer <laughs> things I've heard about streaming from Hollywood people. But what do, how did you think? Does it provide you an opportunity and more, more people like you an opportunity? Yeah, I, I'm a real um, supporter of Netflix and the way that they have put my movie out into the world. They didn't make the movie. They bought it after it was completed. But I think their financial structure, because they, what they need to do is create content and good content, a film like mine, which is unusual and not necessarily mainstream, but there are a group of people who are hungry for it. It can have an actual real value, like something much more commercial. Whereas in a art house film kind of distribution situation, when they're just going for opening weekend, there's no way that my film just doesn't have value. It, it has actual value to Netflix. Um, I mean, I'm talking financial value. Mm -hmm. it, it, they need films like this to offer to the people who are hungry for films like this. But also, my film, if you live in, you know, if, if, if it's a more traditionally distributed theatrically and you live in San Francisco and Chicago and New York and LA, okay, great. But what if you live in rural Maine and you're not into Ferrante or you never heard of Ferrante or whatever, but you might be watching movies on Netflix and you'll have access to it in the way that you never would have in um, in rural Maine, you know? And I think that gives respect to people who don't live in big cities. And I also think they're really smart. And, and I guess I would also like to say, I look at, you know, the movies that Netflix has put out at the same time as mine. I've met so many of the same people, Rebecca Hall and Jane Campion and me. And, you know, there are a lot of women who are doing interesting work that they are supporting. So I, I do think Netflix is actually a place that is supporting artists. I do. I feel that way. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing next? That's my last question. What are you doing next? Um, Besides putting your husband in another movie, you gave him the best role. Oh, yeah. No, I'm definitely <laughs> going to keep working with him. He's my muse. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I don't know yet. I'm doing a lot of thinking about that. I'm trying to give myself the the space to think about it. I, I've, I've got a, a couple of things that have kind of started to hook me. So we'll see what where I end up. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that you can get, and this really is my last question, you said women are fucking hungry, whether it's for content or something else. How does that change from your perspective? Um, hmm. One thing is I think we have to be brave enough to be able to tolerate the feeling of being hungry and identify it. You know, I think there was a part of me, like I said, I didn't even let myself know how much I wanted to direct. What a shame. Um, but I also think when people like Jane Campion, like uh, like Fleabag, right? Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Fleabag comes, I don't know this for sure, but I have the feeling she made that first season of Fleabag for nothing. And it appeals to us, not just women, but, but let's say women first, because that's what we're talking about. And we go, oh, I was hungry for that. And I didn't even know I was hungry for that. And in fact, I was starving for that. Give me more. And it becomes actually financially viable. And everybody goes, oh, something new and told in a new language, um, hitting something new, satisfying something new. And it's actually compelling, not just to women, because also I think men 
men, everyone responds to being told the truth. So as if we're consciously given the space to tell stories from a different diverse perspective, and not just women, I do think it will create content that is new and and actually compelling. That will be, you know, just to be totally crude about it, financially viable too. And then there'll be more space for more diverse perspectives to be articulated. Yeah. I think I think essentially what you're saying is when people are hungry, maybe you should feed them. <laughs> I think about that a lot with my daughter. I have one daughter and three sons, and she asks for what she wants right now at two years old. And I, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the day when someone tries to stop her from asking for what she wants, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to happen. Got lesbians around, so it's like you're going to eat what you want to <laughs> eat whenever you want to eat it. Anyway, fantastic movie. Totally disturbing. I really appreciate it. I, I'm going to go you. watch it again. Thank you. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Daphne Chen, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuelewski. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza. And the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, along with a lecture from a lesbian mother who tells you to suck it up, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.